1: Welcome to Season 5, Episode 28 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence and abuse. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution. Is advised. The defendant had become so acutely conscious of what was contained within that freezer and the risk of discovery, if not just from the odour that emanated from the freezer that it appears that he had chosen to abandon the address. Duncan Penny QC, Southwark Crown Court, July 2020. Shortly before midday, officers from the Metropolitan Police Force arrived at a block of flats in Canning Town, East London. They had visited the brick-built building on Vandam Close the previous day. Still, after pressing the buzzer on the intercom several times, they received no response. Officers were at the property for a second time carrying out a welfare check on an individual who, they had been told, was receiving treatment for cancer. However, he was no longer answering his phone or the intercom to his flat. A friend to the tenant in question was concerned and wanted to make sure the homeowner was not incapacitated, unable to ask for help there were also reports of a peculiar smell emanating from the residents. So this only hastened the need to understand what was going on. Now Saturday, April 27th, 2019, officers again tried the intercom, and for the second time they were met with no response. After gaining access to the communal entrance, They wandered towards the front door of the ground floor flat in Custom House. They forced their way in. Once inside, the officers began to search the one bedroom property. Hello, police. Police officer, make yourself known. Both the electricity and gas had been shut off. Hello, police. Officers looked around the flat, which was in disarray. Clothes were everywhere, and half full beer bottles were strewn across the floor.
0: Is can hide? He knows he's whiskey
1: the person they sought did not appear to be in. The man went by several aliases Ali, Boxer, or Zed. Nicknames inspired by his love of boxing the tenant more formally known as Zahid Yunus had occupied the flat. It was often frequented by the women he was romantically involved with and some of his acquaintances. As the officers continued the search, their eyes were drawn to an area close to the entrance of the flat. They found a small cupboard which housed the gas and electricity meter. A pungent smell filled the officer's nostrils. In the cupboard was a small chest freezer. It had been padlocked shut. The officer's movements were recorded on his body cam. As they approached the appliance, the odour became more potent. Pieces of metal that appeared to resemble a makeshift Zimmer frame were stacked on top of the freezer. A faint sound of buzzing grew louder, and a black mass seemed to shift and sway suspended in midair. Flies were gravitating towards the freezer. Curious as to what was inside and having a bad feeling in the pit of his stomach, the officer had a hunch they should investigate. Okay. There's a freezer here that I want to get into, it's locked, but... Uh, yeah. They eventually pried open the padlock lid with a crowbar. What the officer found was both terrifying and incomprehensible. They first saw a human foot covered by a grey Superman sock. The electricity had been cut off, so the freezer was no longer operational. The frozen mass had started to thaw. What was at first considered a single body was in a state of partial decomposition. Officers acted quickly. The area was sealed off and declared a crime scene. A forensic team emptied the property. Some windows were boarded up and others covered with black bin liners. This would stop any inquisitive members of the public who had a desire to view the macabre discovery. The small chest freezer was carefully removed from the flat and taken for analysis. The next day, the appliance was x-rayed at Withamstow Mortuary. Despite its size, experts realised that it was not one, but two bodies inside. Due to the preliminary effects of the cold and the way in which the bodies had been forced into the freezer, they were conjoined. The fluids produced post-death and the temperature had repercussions on the identification process. The first body, found on top, was wrapped in plastic and a bed sheet. Both victims were partially clothed when they were frozen. The second body, which had been concealed by the first, was dressed in pyjamas on the lower half of their body. Naked from the waist up, they had been wrapped in a sleeping bag and some more plastic. This appeared to be the packaging that the freezer was transported in. A spokesperson from the Metropolitan Police told the press the bodies are believed to be those of two females. We're working to carry out formal identification and trace next of kin. Post-mortem examinations will be held in due course. The investigation is being led by the Homicide and Major Crime Command. It was expected that the post-mortems would be incredibly challenging and would no doubt have implications on the corresponding inquiry. Initially, as the bodies could not be easily removed from the freezer without destroying some of the forensic evidence, it was impossible to tell if any body parts were missing. There appeared to be no apparent signs that indicated a cause of death. However, a more detailed analysis would need to be undertaken. And just as important, the victims would need to be identified. In a press conference, Simon Harding, a detective chief inspector with Scotland Yard, told the media that the discovery in Canning Town was one of the most problematic he had been involved with during his almost three decades serving on the police force. It's such an unusual scene, he said. I haven't really seen something like this where the nature of the two bodies being frozen as they are. They are clothed, which I can say and that's also causing a complexity to it as we await to start a post-mortem. Three days later, the police finally managed to track down Zahid Yunus. He was alive and well, surprising for someone that was supposedly due to undergo treatment for cancer. Eunice was arrested on April 30th in Ladbroke Grove, where he had been staying with his brother and some of his friends. He was about to get a taxi. Eunice claimed he was going to hand himself in to the police. In the interview room from Kingston Police Station, he was questioned repeatedly, but answered no comment to almost every question he was asked. He had only deviated from those words when he was arrested and when he was in his cell. Eunice uttered, It's my house. It's my problem. No one else is involved. 34-year-old Zahid Eunice appeared before Wimbledon Magistrates Court on Friday, May 2nd, 2019. He was charged with two counts of preventing a lawful and decent burial of a dead body on or before April 27th. The British National confirmed his name, age and address. The court was told by prosecutor Jessica Gill the police had been contacted by Eunice's friend, Rosalie. She had met Eunice in February 2019, on her way to church. Rosalie was told Eunice was homeless, he had been abused, and Eunice said he was battling cancer. She offered to buy him lunch, and as the pair ate, Eunice said he had a desire to become a Christian. The two stayed in touch. Rosalie came to learn that Eunice had found a home in the custom house flats in Canning Town although he said the building had a problem with rats, so he was forced to sleep in the garden. Feeling sorry for her new friend, Rosalie began to lend Eunice money. Spread across several bank transfers, this totaled almost £1,500, along with some cash when Eunice needed it. After a few months of contact, Eunice said he required medical treatment for cancer, Then he vanished. The new woman in his life became concerned. Despite several unsuccessful calls to his address, she raised the alarm and reported Eunice as missing. Dressed in prison-issue clothing with large tattoos on each side of his neck, Zahid Eunice was told he would remain in custody. An appearance at Kingston Crown Court was scheduled for the end of the month, pending further inquiries. A trial was expected in October. Detective Chief Inspector Simon Harding spoke with the media. Um, But one of our main focuses is also to identify the two females. At this stage, we haven't managed to do that um, satisfactorily that we need to do. So, um, speculation around who they are is, is quite unhelpful for my team as well. Um, so, I would ask people just to give us time. It's a very complex, unusual scene. So far, we have arrested. One resident of Custom House spoke to the media about the noise emanating from the flats, the drinking outside, and the continuous parties. The block was a location where drug users congregated. The police described these individuals as transient members of the community. The back garden to the flats was a mass of discarded items, old bikes, children's toys and pieces of wood. Eunice was a familiar face in the area, but he was not highly thought of. Another tenant who did not give his name spoke about Eunice, telling a reporter for the Daily Mail... I last saw him last Thursday when I confronted him about taking money off a 90-year-old friend of mine. He looked worried and said to me, Now is not a good time. There was a woman with him who I think was his carer because he had all sorts of health problems. She looked visibly shaken and was shaking her head and crossing herself in a religious way. Along with Eunice... Another individual was arrested in connection with the discovery in Custom House. However, this person was released pending further inquiry. The 50-year-old was known locally as Ted Jolly. Police searched Jolly's home on Monk Drive, not even half a mile from Vandam Close. It would later be revealed that he knew one of the victims. While Jolly was not ultimately charged in connection with the incident, that would not stop his name being mentioned numerous times during the subsequent trial. While an exact cause of death for either of the victims could not initially be established, DNA analysis was completed. The first of the two bodies was identified as Mirakan Mustafa. She was a mother to two children and was in her late 30s when she died. Mirakan, or MJ Jan or Mary Jane as she was affectionately known to her friends and family, had been missing since May 10, 2018. It was reported the former dance teacher was last seen a short distance from where her body was found. She was carrying her mobile phone and only a few pounds in loose change. In an image issued to the media, Miracan is pictured smiling, looking relaxed on a break at the beach. Originally from Cyprus, she had spent time with the people who congregated around the flats in Custom House, one of whom it was reported was a convicted sex offender. She was unaware of their conviction, however it would not be long before their identity was revealed. Seeking to understand Miracan's connection to the address in Canning Town, Scotland Yard implored anyone who knew Miracan to speak up. The public were told they could either contact the Metropolitan Police or if they did not want to speak directly to the authorities, they could call Crime Stoppers. DCI Harding explained that although a post-mortem was ongoing, analysis had not yet confirmed when Miracan died. Mirakan Mustafa had been treated as a missing person, so the Metropolitan Police Force referred itself and its actions to the Independent Office for Police Conduct in accordance with what they described as agreed protocols. A few days after the bodies were found, along with her friends and family, Mel Mustafa, Mirakan's older sister, visited the scene where Mirakan was found. Mel described her sister as the most kind hearted person you could meet. Another family member, Mirakan's cousin Aisha, posted on Facebook. I just cannot describe the feeling. I looked high and low 24 hours a day for you. I promise I did everything I could to find you. Not a day went by without me trying. Miss you like crazy. I still don't believe it. It's not sunk in yet. Rest in peace, beautiful. The last time Mirakan's family saw her was in May 2018. She had turned up at her mother's asking for money. The property was but a stone's throw from where her body was later found. Miracan's mother was unhappy as she knew Miracan wanted the funds to buy drugs. Miracan was given £20, although she was warned it would be the last time she would be given any money. It was suspected not long after Miracan was dead. Before her death, Mirakan had been supporting her children working a number of part-time jobs in retail. She also taught dance classes. After a split from her partner and cuts to her housing benefits, she struggled financially. She moved back in with her widowed mother. The address was close to Canning Town, and after making friends there she started to turn to drugs. Her addiction quickly took hold. She had first attempted to hide her drug use. Subsequently, her relationships with friends and family slowly disintegrated. After she disappeared, her family searched everywhere. They printed flyers and paid for an image of Miracan's face to appear on delivery bikes and recycling trucks. One of the worst days following Miracan's disappearance occurred during one of her children's birthdays. Miracan's daughter sat crying, holding a picture of her mother. She would later write, Please, Mum, come back home. As Miracan, Mustafa's body was so badly decomposed, Her family were only shown her remains from behind a glass window in the mortuary. They were not provided with detailed photos, only an image of a distinctive tattoo on Miracan's wrist. Formal identification was made by her older sister. Authorities also revealed confirmation via familial DNA. A few days later, the second victim was identified. It was understood Henriette suit had been in the United Kingdom for several years prior to her death. She had arrived in 2012 before leaving and returning in September 2014. The 32-year-old had moved away from her hometown in Hungary sometime in 2007, first spending time in Germany. The mother to three had found employment in Mischkolt as a factory worker before she left her homeland, leaving her children in the care of her mother Maria. She had given birth to a child when she briefly returned to Hungary. However, the baby was given up for adoption. Henriette knew no one in England, but travelled to find work and thought she would build a better life for herself. Police reports suggested she struggled with mental health issues, which were only compounded by several abusive former partners. After only a few weeks in the country, she was attacked. She had been robbed of her passport, phone and all of her savings which she had been carrying on her person. It was understood Henriette had moved in with a partner, however when the relationship ended she then found herself homeless. She either slept rough or if they had a bed she stayed at a Salvation Army hostel. Henriette had received support from a homeless charity called the Welcome Centre. Soon after arriving in the UK, an image of her was published in which she was pictured in the charity's garden. She's smiling, standing proudly surrounded by sprouting vegetables and green grass. The manager for the Ilford charity, Sonia Lynch, spoke to a reporter for Sky News about how upset she was following the news of Henriette's death. She described Henriette as a warm, kind, and caring person, always smiling, always drawing. The last time she was seen by members of the charity was towards the end of summer 2015, when she was collecting a food voucher. It was reported that Henriette moved to a property in East London during March 2016 after a chance meeting in a hospital. She spoke with a friend in Hungary over the phone during that summer. The last time she was seen was August 29th. She had not been reported missing. Henriette's family had been informed of her death, although they had yet to make a formal identification. The family did not have the money to travel to the UK. Before she left Hungary, Henriette's relationship with her mother became frayed after they argued about how Henriette was raising her children. Maria Rosniak told the Hungarian media that her daughter left the children in her care, but she had not heard from Henriette since. Henriette's former neighbours knew little about her, apart from the fact that she had been married to the children's father. Their relationship was at times strained. She was not someone that caused any trouble and did not stand out, often going unnoticed. DCI Harding, the senior investigating officer, again appealed to the public, asking if anyone had spoken to Henriette since the phone conversation over two and a half years earlier. Although post-mortem examinations had been undertaken, the cause of death for each victim was still being established. Further analysis identified that they had both suffered numerous injuries, the exact details of which were yet to be revealed. A crowdfunding page was set up by a member of Mirakan Mustafa's family to raise money for her funeral. Her cousin Aisha Hussein, who set up the page, had been working tirelessly with her family to track down Mirakan. A target of £10,000 was met soon after the page went live, with many of the worldwide donations made as anonymous contributions. Aisha wrote, A massive thank you to everyone who donated towards her funeral. She will have such an amazing, beautiful send-off that she deserves. On behalf of myself and all the family, we can't thank you enough for your generosity. From HMP Wandsworth, Zahid Yunus appeared before Kingston Crown Court via video link. Although it had been just over a month since the bodies of Henriette Such and Mirakan Mustafa were found fused together in a chest freezer, due to the complexities of the situation, analysis of both bodies and the scene in Canning Town continued. Charges were expected and Yunus would offer a plea by the start of August with a trial scheduled to take place in the middle of October 2019. However, August came and went. First, Zahid Yunus said that he was too ill to attend the court dates. And what's more, the post-mortem results had still not been finalised. This meant that a trial in October was impossible. The legal proceedings were rescheduled for April 2020. The new year brought tidings the victims' families had been waiting for. It had taken nine months. They received the call that they could lay Mirican and Henriette to rest. During Mirakan's funeral, her family offered a statement in which they were adamant. They would not rest until they received justice for her death, but they were devastated. Mirakan's family said, We can never see her, hug her and kiss her again, and tell her how much we love her. Our hearts are truly broken. A week later, on January 31st, 2020, Zahid Yunus was charged with two counts of murder, in addition to the two charges of preventing a lawful and decent burial he already faced. The post-mortem results revealed that Henriette's suit had been struck violently on the head. Mirakan Mustafa had fractures to both her larynx and sternum. Evidence suggested she was either strangled or struck forcefully on the neck. Both women had fractures to their ribs. There were more than 50 internal and external wounds. On Valentine's Day 2020, the now 35-year-old Zahid Yunus was told he would be going to trial for multiple counts of murder. If his appearance was anything to go by, prison life had not been kind. The hairband kept his unkempt hair out of his eyes, and flecks of grey marked his beard. By now familiar with Wimbledon Magistrates Court and its procedures... Eunice heard the news over a video link from prison. The trial was scheduled to begin on April 14th, only a few weeks before the anniversary of the discovery. Hopefully, the public, and more importantly, the families, would have answers as to what happened to their loved ones. But fate had other plans. As the outbreak of coronavirus spread across the globe, new ways of working had to be adopted throughout the court system. To ensure social distancing and a safe working environment, remote hearings were adopted. Although best efforts were made, it hindered the ability to tackle the backlog of cases that were already outstanding in the legal system. The problem of pending cases in the magistrates' courts and the Crown Courts could not be solved with technology alone. Numerous trials were delayed to ensure the safety of all involved. The backlogs meant the defendants awaiting trial would be spending longer on bail out in the community, or if they were held on remand, they would be spending longer in prison. Furthermore, victims of crime and their families...
0: They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
1: Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where ScentAir comes in. With over three decades of experience, ScentAir leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces, and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand, and now ScentAir is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate free, cruelty free, safe for families, and EcoVadis certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to scentair.com and using promo code Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Us for an extra 25% off your first order at scentair.com. For His Crimes Zahid Yunus would be brought before Southwark Crown Court at the end of July 2020. He pleaded guilty to two charges of preventing the lawful and decent burial of Mirakan Mustafa and Henriette Such. Yunus was insistent he did not commit the killings. He was unsure of how each of the women died. Soon after the jury took their seats... With legal proceedings barely underway, Eunice said he did not feel well, so was led back to his cell. Mrs Justice Chima Grubb, presiding over the case felt it pertinent to continue. Duncan Penny QC told jurors of the discovery in Canning Town. The prosecutor said that both Mirakan Mustafa and Henriette Sooch had been struggling with addiction. He described the chaos in their lives and the difficulty to find somewhere they could safely lay their heads. The defendant, who it was alleged had murdered them, was deemed a, quote, "...man with the ability and the disposition to manipulate and to seek to control vulnerable women, capable of seeking to dominate them, to subject them to his will and, if necessary, of resorting to violence." Both of the victims had been in the company of Eunice during the final weeks of their lives and were being manipulated by him. Penny said their deaths were untimely and unnatural. Police discovered their belongings at the flat, along with torn up pictures of each victim and poems they had written. Mirakan Mustafa's handbag and a medical prescription were found at the address. One of her fingerprints was left on an oven door. Blood from Henriette Such was found in several places on the floor. And he detailed the violence each of the women had suffered before their deaths. Through his phone, Eunice was communicating with his acquaintances in a WhatsApp messaging group. He described his frustration with someone he was sharing a flat with. Police believe that after this comment was sent, Eunice killed Mirakan Mustafa and concealed her body in the freezer. This was sometime around May 2018. Eunice had communicated with Mirakan. His mobile phone records indicate they corresponded on the afternoon of May 2, 2018. Mirakan was seen by her family just over a week later although her mobile phone was not used again. Jurors were told her body was hidden in the same place as the other murder victim, Henriette Such. Duncan Penny QC said, The prosecution's case is that this defendant, who was both the occupant and the tenant of that address throughout the relevant period, had murdered each of these women. Thereafter he sought to conceal their remains in the freezer bought for that sole purpose. Most probably a short time after the death of the first woman, Henriette. It was alleged that with two bodies concealed in the freezer, the smell of which was becoming ever more difficult to disguise, Eunice became increasingly paranoid. So he fled the address. Henriette Such had kept a diary of her time in England, and within its pages she detailed the abuse she suffered at the hands of Zahid Eunice. She wrote, When I admitted my sins, you judged and expelled me from the inner circle and planted poison in my broken heart that was anyway stone cold by then. This poison has been tormenting and burning me. I'm afraid of dying And I don't want to hate you. The pair had met outside the Royal London Hospital in Whitechapel during early 2016. Eunice was receiving treatment for Crohn's disease. Henriette was there after she had been attacked by her former partner. She was pushed from a fifth-floor balcony and suffered a fractured shoulder and broken ribs. It was alleged her former partner had raped her, although the Crown Prosecution Service had yet to authorise a charge. She was placed in a safe house for victims of trafficking. She had been forced into sex work and was often given drugs. Henriette was soon convinced by Eunice to leave Bristol, where the safe house was located, and instructed to move back to London into his arms. Aware of Henriette's struggles, Eunice found her easy to manipulate. Henriette had fled several abusive relationships, a fact that Eunice would have been aware of. He coerced her, controlled her behaviour. And slowly severed any ties she had with her friends and family. Her writings suggest she was in love and was devoted to her new partner. That love was not reciprocated. She was assaulted both mentally and physically. She was humiliated. Henriette was told there were rules she had to live by. She was not allowed to enter the kitchen and was told when to eat. She journaled how she felt she could no longer stay due to her suffering and wrote how she planned to leave, although she would never get the chance. Explaining the handwritten notes provided a clear picture of the existence of a controlling and abusive relationship, the prosecutor told the court. Most certainly it would appear that Henriette felt dependent upon the defendant at that time and was keen to please him. The notes in which Henriette chronicled her thoughts had been shredded, but were found and reassembled. One note described how she was slapped in the face. Another, written in broken English, read, Broke my morning promises. I didn't wake up in time was wrong and I didn't change my clothes in time. I didn't listen to him when he tried to do his best for me. I'm sad and broke and feel low now. Learn my lesson again. Some of Henriette's injuries were inflicted over a period of several weeks. It would have been impossible to mask the pain so Eunice would have been aware although he did nothing to treat her injuries. All but one of Henriette's ribs were fractured. The prosecution argued that the evidence suggested Henriette was killed possibly at the start of November 2016 after she got ready for bed. She was partially clothed, pajamas covered the lower half of her body. She was last seen in August, when the police stopped her with Eunice. It was suspected that they were buying drugs following a report from a member of the public. A diary entry made towards the end of September 2016 implied that she was still alive at this point, however significantly isolated from the outside world. The prosecution proposed that the freezer was purchased soon after Henriette Such was killed. Eunice acquired the appliance for the single reason to conceal her body, which remained undiscovered for two and a half years. Eunice bought the freezer on November 11th, 2016. He paid close to £170 in cash at a Curry's electrical store in Becton, but did not provide his real name. Due to the condition of the body, the prosecution could not say precisely when Henriette died. She had severe wounds to her head which would have bled heavily, or it may well have been due to the injuries caused by someone stamping forcefully on her body. The prosecution did not have all the answers, but they were certain Eunice committed murder for a second time. They believe Mirakan Mustapha was killed 18 months after the death of Henriette Such. Although the prosecution were unable to pinpoint exactly when and how Mirakan died, it was understood that it was likely sometime in May 2018. It appeared she was strangled, She had injuries to her larynx, sternum and ribs. The property where Eunice lived was renovated soon after this second killing. Sections of new wooden flooring replaced areas of carpet that had previously been laid. According to his neighbours, Eunice thoroughly washed all of the clothing at the address. A great deal of washing was hung outside to dry around this time. A piece of carpet from the living room was rolled up and put in a shed. Those same neighbours were often asked if they had any spare change, as Eunice wanted to top up the electric metre installed at the address. After the power had been cut off, during 2019 a workman was called to the property on April 11th. The electrical engineer was greeted at the door by Eunice, He was carrying a can of air freshener trying to cover up a strong smell that emanated from the freezer. Eunice monitored the man as he went about his duties, clearing the debt off the meter. The engineer wondered where such an awful smell was coming from. This visit was only a few weeks before Eunice fled the flat and his disappearance was reported. Duncan Penny QC would go on to tell the court that Mirakan Mustafa and Henriette Such were not the defendants' only victims. Zahid Eunice had a, quote, complex history of offending. Just over 13 years earlier, Eunice was convicted of unlawful sexual activity with a child. The victim was 12 years old when they met. Eunice raped her a year later. In 2004, an illegal wedding ceremony had been held. And a year after that, the teenage girl was pregnant. Not only was she raped, but she was repeatedly assaulted. Eunice would not only use his fists, but any number of items that were laying around the house. The assaults on the young victim were not only physical but psychological. He was coercive, controlling every minute of her young life. Eventually, Eunice was arrested. He faced charges of common assault and sexual offences against a child. He pleaded guilty. Eunice was sentenced to 30 months in prison. Following his early release, having only been behind bars a year, the registered sex offender began a relationship with a 17-year-old. History repeated itself, and another victim was subjected to a torrent of physical and psychological abuse. The attacks escalated. First shouting, then slaps, then punches, kicks, sexual assaults, then she was raped. The teenager who had recently lost her father was forced to wear a burqa if she ever saw her family. They could not see the scars and bruises. Eunice threatened to kill her family if she ever left. He knew only too well how to separate his victim from any support network they might have had. On a trip to see her family, the victim bravely called the police. And her abusers' crimes were reported. By this point, one of her arms had been fractured in three places. Eunice was arrested, and again, he was behind bars. He faced three charges one of assault, occasioning actual bodily harm, and two of wounding. He was sentenced to almost five years. These cases were but two examples. There were several other victims dating back as far as 2001, some of whom gave birth to children. Eunice would escort them everywhere. They were not to be out of his sight. He would threaten to kill them, hit them with objects that included a hammer, and force them in confined spaces where they would stay for days. There were countless trips to the hospital to treat their injuries, and the attacks were severe, leaving lasting damage. Frustratingly, there were numerous missed opportunities when Eunice had been accused of severe assaults. However, the reports were never followed up. During 2002, the police were told that not only had Eunice threatened and assaulted a teenage girl with a crowbar and a hammer, but she was held at his home against her will. Sadly, no action was taken. Three years later, he faced more than two dozen charges against two other teenage girls. The cases went to trial, although the offences were disregarded on instruction from the judge following the victim's testimony. The sentence Eunice received in 2007 had been low due to a plea agreement. The charges of sexual assault and rape were discontinued. Years after his release, police officers visited his flat. The property was in disarray, and after Eunice mentioned he used a bucket as a toilet, the officers did not want to hang around. At this point, the body of Henriette Such had been secreted away in the freezer which the officers passed on their way out. His last run-in with the law before his arrest for murder was during September 2018. He admitted to stealing from an elderly neighbour. During his arrest, Eunice assaulted an officer and spat in their face. After the bodies of the two murder victims were found at the end of April 2019, Eunice was staying with his brother in West London. Then seemingly unaware of what had happened, a friend later recalled how Eunice spoke about handing himself in to the police. Through tears he mentioned that he would need to contact a solicitor. When prompted, Eunice was asked why. What had he done? But he would not say. Shortly before the defence began its opposing arguments, so that Crown Court heard from Rosalie Langley Judd. The 36-year-old who described herself as a writer and a missionary, had been the one to raise the alarm when she could not contact Zahid Eunice. She was concerned for his safety. She knew him by the name Ali Eunice. He took this nickname from the boxing champion Muhammad Ali. The pair had met outside the Stratford shopping centre during the start of 2019. The winter weather outside was freezing and Rosalie, who was on her way to church, became worried about the man she saw before her. Eunice appeared to be extremely cold. The Good Samaritan took pity on him, and the pair walked to a subway restaurant for something to eat. They spoke for around an hour and a half. He told me he was a cancer patient, Rosa Lee Langley Judd told the court. He pulled up his top and showed me a lot of scars and told me they were for operations for bowel cancer and we talked about Jesus. Eunice spoke about the difficulties in his life and how he ended up being homeless. Rosalie offered him some money to help him get back on his feet. Progressively, over time, he ended up being given almost £1,500. It felt as if he was manipulating me, the witness said as if I owed him money that I was trying to avoid paying. Although she was told he was homeless, Rosalie slowly discovered that Eunice did in fact have a roof over his head. However, he was quick to explain that he couldn't live there because of a rodent problem and it was dirty. He had previously made no mention of having a flat, in spite of his claims of being homeless. Rosalie arranged for a cleaner to help with the chores around the home, but no one answered the intercom when they went to the address. Excuse after excuse was made before Eunice changed the subject. He again spoke about the importance of his religion. He said he was due to be baptised towards the end of April. According to him, this coincided with his cancer treatment. However, suddenly, he stopped replying to Rosalie's text messages and did not answer the door despite her repeated calls at the address. This was when she alerted the authorities and reported Eunice as a missing person. Offering evidence in his own defence... Zahid Yunus entered the court on crutches. Before he spoke, he swore on the Quran. After being questioned by his counsel, Ikapert like QC, Yunus explained that Henriette Such was obsessed with him. He claimed that the obsession started when the two became physically intimate. Yunus alleged that Henriette was a sex worker and when he found out, he called off their relationship. Eunice allegedly told her that this could potentially affect his underlying health condition. He told the court that he allowed her to occasionally stay at the property. He would receive calls in the early morning hours before she arrived. The defendant said that Henriette would often tell him about her troubles. He described her as a pain in the ass. She started to discuss what happened with her, all of her drama, Eunice said. I didn't want to know. She said she would rob her punters. I didn't know what a punter was. She said they would come back and beat her and rape her. Eunice tried to explain that Henriette Such would frequently get into physical altercations with others. He offered the opinion that this might be why she had injuries to her body when she was found. He denied assaulting her or causing any of her injuries. Eunice would admit to some of his past crimes, which included abusing a child, but claim that despite these offences, he had not lost his decency. When questioned by Ikapert QC, Eunice admitted that he had been in a string of volatile relationships, but he said that either the women were exaggerating, or they were also being violent and abusive. Eunice described how during one day in October 2016, he popped out briefly around lunchtime. He had met Henriette that same year and she was in the flat with two other individuals. Their identities were never made public. Upon his return in the evening, Eunice testified that he found Henriette on the sofa. She appeared to be asleep. To me, it was like she was chilling, he said. I made a cup of tea. I shouted, do you want one? but never got a response. Eunice smoked some drugs before he realised Henriette was dead. According to him, mouth-to-mouth and chest compressions were no use. Eunice said Henriette had been suffering from a headache before she died, although he could not identify a cause of death. He said he panicked. He contacted a friend on the phone who told him not to report this to the police, otherwise they would think he did it. According to the defendant, this individual was named Tommy Farmer, who was given £500 to help hide Henriette's body in the freezer. The pair had known each other for around 15 years. Eunice then told his counsel that Farmer would go on to blackmail him. Eunice recounted a tale of how in May 2018 he received a call from Farmer in which he was told that his acquaintance was wanted for murder and needed help. Eunice was ordered to go to a property owned by Ted Jolly, a man who had often hung around the flats in Custom House. Jolly was arrested during the initial inquiry at Jolly's home, Eunice said he was met by Tommy Farmer, Ted Jolly and another man. Eunice was then taken into the living room, where he saw a body on the floor, laying between the sofa and the coffee table. It was Miracan Mustafa. Eunice claimed he only knew her in passing. He was overwhelmed and so ran outside, It was alleged that Eunice was threatened and told he was to hide this second body in his freezer. Otherwise, his acquaintances said they would tell everyone about the death of Henriette and the fact that her body was hidden in his flat. Eunice went home and awaited their arrival, making sure no one was around. According to the defendant, they turned up late at night. Tommy Farmer and Ted Jolly were supposedly pushing a wheelie bin which contained the body of Mirakan Mustafa. They were also said to be carrying her bag and mobile phone, which is why the items ended up in the flat where Eunice lived. In his version of the events, Eunice claimed they could not get both bodies inside the freezer at first, despite the numerous forceful attempts. Eunice said for at least a week the bodies were placed in an area he called the meat cupboard, until the appliance had defrosted enough so they had room to push the dead bodies inside. Eunice was allegedly ordered to destroy Mirakan's clothing. He told the court that he had met Mirakan Mustafa only a handful of times. She had been in the presence of their mutual friend Tommy Farmer. Eunice said he had seen her begging for money outside a local shop, though when asked he could not explain how one of her fingerprints had ended up on the cooker in his flat. Still, he was certain there was no communication between them in spite of his details being saved on her mobile phone under the name of Boxer. Numerous texts had been sent to his number. He insisted that someone else must have used his phone, a situation he claimed was not that uncommon in the, quote, drug-taking community, as those people had not paid their bills. Eunice also testified that the carpet in the property was only pulled up and replaced as a friend who stayed had a dog. It had been malting. He did not want to clean up the fur. He thought it was easier to buy an entirely new carpet. When cross-examined by Crown Prosecutor Duncan Penny QC, Eunice was called systematically dishonest. The prosecutor questioned the account Eunice provided regarding the discovery of a dead body on his sofa. Quote, On the day you came home and found a dead woman on your couch, oddly enough, on that day you chose not to contact the police. The defendant replied, I have a criminal conviction and a criminal past. I was not comfortable with calling the police and telling them I had a dead body in my house. Eunice said that he had completed a first aid course at school. He tried his best to revive Henriette, but it was no use. The prosecutor asked why he did not think to contact a professional, someone that could have saved Henriette's life. My head was all over the place, Eunice said. I was panicking. She was unconscious. To me, she looked like she was dead. She was dead. Eunice went outside to get some air and go for a walk. The defendant explained that he had not seen much of Henriette in the months leading up to her death. Apparently she occasionally came round to wash her clothes and check her email. He said that they had bumped into each other when they were stopped by the police in August 2016. It was just a coincidence they were together. Duncan Penny QC found it astonishing that two women would end up in the same small freezer. Penny, who held nothing back during a forceful cross-examination, described the account provided by Eunice as an elaboration, and nothing more than that because it's a story, a yarn, a tall tale. Eunice became increasingly frustrated and lashed out on the stand saying that he was uncomfortable with the prosecutor's approach. "'I can feel his eyes on me, and he is hovering over me,' said Eunice. The judge told the defendant to focus his gaze elsewhere." Zahid Yunus had admitted that he concealed the bodies in his freezer. It was true he did not report what had happened to the authorities, but he denied that he killed either of the victims. During closing, his counsel, Iker Pert QC, highlighted that the case was circumstantial. Pert asserted that there was no forensic evidence that directly connected his client to an act of murder. On Friday, August 28, 2020, the jury retired to make a decision. The verdicts came towards the end of the following week. Not all members of the jury arrived at the same decision, so majorities were accepted. Mirakan Mustafa's wider family had attended every day of the trial hearing the horrific evidence over several weeks. Henriette Suchi's family, who lived in Hungary, had been unable to attend the legal proceedings due to international travel restrictions following the coronavirus outbreak. Although Zahid Yunus had told the court he had done nothing but hide the bodies, the majority of the jury did not believe him. Cries of yes... And thank God, thank God, filled the court in Southwark. After the verdicts were passed, Zahid Yunus returned to his cell. The court would reconvene later on the afternoon of September 3rd for sentencing. But when the time came, Eunice refused to return from his cell to face justice. His counsel was unable to persuade him. Eunice had at one point shouted abuse from the dock and been through three different defence counsels, continually changing his instructions and arguments as he came to learn that his lies were being discovered. Addressing those present at Southwark Crown Court, Judge Mrs Justice Chima Grubb said, It will surprise no one in this courtroom that the defendant has declined to attend his sentence. He sits in the cells below, but I will address these remarks to him so that when he has the courage to read them, he will know exactly why the court reached the conclusions that it did. The judge went on to call Eunice an arch-deceiver. Mrs Justice Chima Grubb stated, You are a heartless man and a narcissist. Your concern throughout has been for yourself. Your selfishness is neatly illustrated by the fact that while both women's bodies were in your freezer and you were receiving over £1,000 a month in social security benefits, you tricked your 91-year-old neighbour into letting you go into her kitchen from where you stole £60 she had saved in a jam jar. The judge explained to the court that for a serious case of murder, which included multiple victims, the starting point would be 30 years. The aggravating factors included how Eunice had targeted Henriette and Miracan while they were in vulnerable situations, the fact the murders were committed several years apart, the prolonged suffering and the concealment of the bodies. The judge was unable to find any factors that might mitigate the sentence. It was over a year before Eunice admitted to any charges. These included two counts of preventing the lawful burial of a body. He faced five years in prison for each of these charges, which would run concurrently with the sentences for multiple murder. Zahid Yunus had served 490 days in custody while on remand. This would be deducted from his sentence. He would be facing two life terms and would have to spend at least 38 years in prison. Yunus was told he may never see the outside world again. Following sentencing, a statement written on behalf of Maria Rosniak, the mother of Henriette Such, addressed the grief that she felt. It read The fact that Henriette lay deceased in a freezer for two and a half years with no one looking for her or realizing she was missing torments Maria on a daily basis. The inner turmoil she suffers is, as you would expect, for a mother mourning the death of her child. And to make matters worse, she hasn't been able to see her or lay her to rest. This is most unimaginable for any family member, but particularly a mother. Mirakan Mustafa's family spoke about the search to find her. I think the hardest thing for us throughout the missing investigation was... Um, when it starts to get a little bit more serious and it got to the point where we've never disclosed this to no one but we had divers going into the Thames to look for her and again it was just sitting there waiting, is that her body? They found a the body, is that her? Then they had to take DNA and just sitting watching that DNA I always say that, that stuck in my head and when things like that happen it was hitting reality that is she it real, she might not come back. So. Be seeing all the local papers, seeing, because we had the big media um, coverage of her missing at the time. So he would have gone to the local shop that he does. He would have seen the front paper, he would have seen her picture. So to know that you've done this and you've carried on living your normal life, it just shows what a sick animal he was. He sits there looking at injury books like they're Simon Harding, Detective Chief Inspector with the Metropolitan Police, commended the bravery shown by Eunice's other victims who had testified about their experiences. And the detective applauded the murder victim's relatives who had to sit through the trial listening to the lies told by Eunice. His motive is his personality. This is, this is what he is about. He is, he is a person that... He uses, he uses drugs. He um, would manipulate and lie to people to get money. He said that he put uh, both girls in the freezer with well, nothing to do with him, really. He was facilitating freezer being in his flat Um, he said that other people were involved he waited a year before he told anybody including the police or prosecution exactly what his defense was and he waited till all the evidence had been served then he came up with his story and immediately we were able to say well the the person that he's blaming as helping him put in the freezer was in prison so possibly couldn't have helped him he changed his story again two or three defense case statements were read out where his story changed which is all a pattern of lies, which is what his life is about. His life is one big lie to people, to get what he wants. So where are we now? Following the court case, it was flagged there had been several instances when both Eunice and his victims had fallen through the cracks. Eunice had been allowed to commit a long line of crimes and the protection that should have been afforded to all the victims, not just those he murdered, was lost. They were all but forgotten. The BBC did their own investigation into Eunice and found that there were numerous instances where charges against him Predominantly physical attacks against young teenagers that were sexual in nature were either never followed up, dismissed or he was allowed to plead guilty on lesser charges. Since he was added to the Sex Offenders Register in 2007, he had breached those conditions several times. There had been more than two dozen complaints against him and police had even visited his home not once but twice when the body of the first murder victim, Henriette Such, was hidden in a chest freezer. Henriette had been in a safe house for victims of trafficking in 2016. However, as she grew closer with Eunice, the Metropolitan Police lost contact with her as a criminal case against her former partner collapsed. Furthermore, a Scotland Yard conducted a search for Miracan Mustafa they did not examine her phone records. This would have provided a substantial link to Eunice. The Director of Communications for the domestic abuse charity Refuge spoke about the case and the need for answers. Lisa King said, Why weren't the agencies and the professionals who have a duty to protect all women trained to spot the signs and support these women? How could they be left as missing and vulnerable to fall through the cracks? Why wasn't Zahid Yunus being monitored given his history of violence and abuse? Why wasn't he identified as high risk? Mirakan Mustafa's family made several complaints which spurred an internal review to understand the failings. While the victim's families may have justice in the eyes of the law at least, they still do not know what truly happened. Miracan's family offered a statement in which they referred to her by her nickname of Jan. Her cousin Aisha recalled the moment they found out what had happened. The call from the police will never be forgotten. Hearing them words coming they found my Jan was never real. I still don't believe it. The moment we told my auntie and Jan's children with an ambulance on standby breaks every part of me, seeing the pain and tears in their eyes. She was a gentle being who still had a whole life ahead of her to live and watch her children grow. My heart deeply goes out to her children, You are the strongest people that I know. The grief that they are going through compares to no other pain. On the subject of how Miracan's family had dealt with her death, Mirakan's older sister was later interviewed by a reporter for the Mirror newspaper. She spoke of how the family had at first hoped Mirakan would walk back through the front door, even after they heard that it might have been her body that was discovered. Mel Mustafa said, My aunt has a massive kitchen window, and all she did was look out that window every day waiting for Jan to come home. She still does now. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to our new Patreon producer, Andrew Byer, and everyone who supports us on Patreon. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com.